This is a Need 10 Media production. All right, welcome aboard, my friend. It's Nate Clayberg, and in this episode of That's a Job podcast, you're going to meet someone that was introduced to me through a mutual connection just a few years back. Actually, turns out to be more than that. Uh, our guest, Payne Schoen, reached out to me about an economic development job in the Quincy, Illinois area. I listened, said I wasn't interested, but we kept talking and got to know each other since then and have reached back and forth quite a few times uh, since then with questions and advice. Uh, anytime I expand my network, uh, especially away from my home area, I am open to that. Again, that's a job podcast. This is a job where we focus on jobs that maybe you have not heard of or jobs you have heard of, but you didn't know the process to get there and maybe some some things you didn't know along the way. Payne, welcome to That's a Job podcast. Thanks a lot, Nate. I appreciate to be here. I'm super excited and I love the work that you're doing. You know, I appreciate you taking time, but uh, I want to. We're going to get in the in the in the flashback machine. It doesn't look like a DeLorean. There's not a crazy scientist that jumped in or not. But you know, let's go back to you being that senior in high school. And where did you think you were going when you graduated from high school? What pathway did you think you were leading? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think you're going to have to update your reference because your audience is not going to, to relate to Back to the Future. Um, <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, when I was graduating high school, I had one thing on my mind, and that was college football. And I wanted to play ball somewhere. And so my college choices and my next steps were all based around where I could play ball. And so I found myself at a small uh, Division II school playing ball. And, and at the time, I thought, being a lawyer was what I wanted to do. Uh, so I got into what I thought was the right major, criminal justice. And, and I just got onto that path. And if I had to be honest and admit it, I think it was probably from Hollywood is why I wanted to be, be a lawyer is because you see, you know, Tom Cruise uh, in, in A Few Good Men. And, and that looked pretty cool. So let's, let's talk through that. Where, did the, where do you feel the lawyer, let's go deeper on that, the, where the lawyer came through? You know, was that, was there any other options or, you know, somebody in your life or something presented to you to dig a little deeper on why you thought law? Yeah, you know, I think I, I think there were a couple of factors to that. There was the, like I said, the Hollywood and the, the glam of that. My growing up, my mom always told me I was a great uh, a great arguer, and so I would always make a good lawyer. And I didn't really grow up with anybody close to my family. My dad was an entrepreneur. He's third generation um, insurance agency owner, and so it was kind of the typical middle child syndrome of trying to do something completely different and, and go on my blazing my own trail. But you go through college and there was some law, but numbers, you were drawn to numbers. Talk through that. Yeah. So it was interesting. After my first semester of college, I began to wonder whether seven years of school was, was in my future <laughs> or not. And so talking through that with my dad and some other mentors in my life, I realized that even if I decide to go not down the, the, the law school path, criminal justice was not the, not the major to, to, to study. And so then I began the, the transition between a number of majors. I went through, I think, four or five of them, uh, landed in business administration and marketing for the longest 
before uh, the summer before my senior year, I, I had suffered a knee injury and ended up um, having a redshirt year. And so at that point, I still was thinking law school, but my advisor said, don't get a four year degree in five years or even four and a half. And so I had two options at that point, biochemistry or accounting. It had a five year program. And so I ended up in accounting, which was probably made my dad really happy because from the beginning, he said, take as much accounting classes as you, you can, because it's the foundation of everything. So uh, I, you got into it, but you were changing majors, trying to figure things out, playing football, had that injury, you know, just talk through that process. And even going back to the conversations you had with peers and advisors, and even your dad, when you were questioning law, I guess, what kind of questions were happening or advice truly was being given other than, you know, accounting being the foundation for a lot of things? Yeah, you know, as I look back, one of the things I I wish I would have done was to to really think about what it was that I could see myself doing. Like uh, why I love the work that you do is you get to open the eyes of to to students and and even parents of what the possibilities are. I grew up in a small rural town. Um, like I said, my dad was third generation in his business, uh, and, and so around me it was really all we knew, and so. I didn't have a whole lot of input into my life as to what the possibilities were. And so I just took advice when it was handed out to me and the people that I trusted. And so that's how I ended up in accounting instead of sitting down and saying, well, you know, you're a very outgoing person. You love to build relationships. You, you like to be around people. Accounting may not be the right profession for you. Uh, never once asked myself that question. And I didn't really have anybody else ask me those questions. And so those were the things that would have been great. Otherwise, instead, it was just, hey, the, the people that want, were in those positions, I had a, a, an advisor that was in accounting. She wanted to see me graduate in accounting because she was an accountant. You know, my dad was pushing me down that route. And, and I'm so grateful I did. Uh, it all turned it, it all ended up working out, but there wasn't a whole lot of thought and intentionality went behind it. You know, you talk deeper in there about you know, it's uh, recommendations from people and family and friends and, you know, accounting is a good job. It is a good job. It is a good pathway. It's a good profession. But, you know, if somebody, you know, had asked you that, you know, asking that next question, and that's something I get into with, uh, you know, what I would term as a career conversation, you know, you walk into to my office as a teacher or a, I'm the counselor or whatever, and they say, what do you want to paint? What are you thinking? You're thinking, well, law school or accounting. And I'm like, okay, let's get you on track. Let's get you uh, these classes in. But, you know, somebody listening to this that has that role, how do you ask that next question? How do you say, well, why? Yeah. Why do you want to be that? What do you know about it? You know, if somebody had asked you why or what do you know about it? I think you already talked through that. But, you know, that's, that's how can you stress that more to, to ask the next question? And I, I think that probably leads into some of the work you do now. And maybe that's some of the work you did as an accounting, asking some deeper stuff, asking the questions. You know, I think the question that you asked is one that is funny. I don't know that I asked myself until four or five years ago, what was it about being a lawyer that I wanted to do. And, and it, I said it somewhat facetiously, but I'm, I'm convinced that some of it was just the way Hollywood made it look, look cool. And at 18 years old and in a, in a perfect suit uh, in front of a courtroom, that looked awesome. Well, 
fast forward to, you know, 15 years later, I ended up working for a law firm for a time and they spent very little time in the courtroom. I didn't even know that at 18. And so asking that question, well, what is it that you know? And what is it about your current skill sets and interests that you think you'll be able to leverage in that position? And I think that's what we don't explore. What do you like to do? Well, I don't know. I, well, I like sports. I like, okay, well, continue to explore those thoughts of here are the things that are fun to me. Can I create a profession out of that? And I think some power can come from there. Yeah, you know, that's that's the challenge. And almost, I feel like sometimes somebody has an idea. You know, you might have that idea out there and and someone might be afraid to ask you why uh, for feel of maybe derailing you, uh, on that pathway or, you know, not say, not wanting to set you up to fail. Cause if, if somebody had said to you pain, really, you're looking at going uh, D two for football. What are you hoping to do with that? You know, how do you want to spend that time? Really? You're looking to, to do accounting. You know, there had to be somebody in your life that, that looked at you and they heard you're getting you accounting and they went, okay, all right, well, we'll see how this plays out. Do you recall any of that hindsight? Honestly, no, there wasn't. Um, nobody questioned that, which, again, hindsight 2020, I could have sat in the accounting classes and looked around and said, hmm, something doesn't fit here. Um, <laughs> I like to talk. I like group work. I like collaboration. Nobody in my class wants to talk to me. Like, weird. What's wrong with me? And, and, but I didn't think that way. And, and so unfortunately I, you know, I didn't, I had a great advisor and I, I truly believe this, that he was, he taught in accounting and, but he was a JD, um, a JD MBA, Lieutenant Colonel in the Marines. He'd served in the CIA. I mean, he had done a lot of things and his base degree was accounting and he was a CPA as well. And so I think I saw him and all the possibility that he had. But then when I graduated, which I graduated in 09 with the heart of the recession, there were very few jobs. And I was one of the fortunate ones, I think, of all the people I graduated with, I think nine had jobs upon graduation, five of them were accountants. And so I got very fortunate in that space, but that propelled me into the public accounting world. And that then that that you know, something doesn't fit was exacerbated. So then as you go through that, and it's only been a, a few years since you, you've hung that up, I guess I should rewind and say, do you still dabble in, uh, in some tax returns and some things like that? Do you still get to uh, dabble in that for, uh, for old time's sake? As little as I can. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm unloading more and more as we do. I, you know, I do maybe a few every year, one being my own and I'm getting to the point where it's like, you know what? <laughs> I'm not sure the risk outweighs the reward at this point. And so I'll just let somebody else do it that, that stays up with the, the, the law and all of that. Yeah. So as I mentioned uh, at the beginning of this podcast, uh, how we met, you were at the law firm accounting and involved in an economic development board in the Quincy, Illinois area. And uh, just coming along the way, you talked about all of a sudden some self-discovery, some self-awareness of, is this the right fit, you know, uh, where this goes uh, and the evolution from then to where you're at now. Talk about the catalyst for that, that then had you seeking other things. I think I could kind of get a sense of that when we first met, because I, I think I was in that same type of uh, uh, place at the time. And, and whether it's uh, misery loves company or, or misery trying to find success, you know, talk about the last, uh, I suppose, six, seven years. And maybe even yeah. longer that you were trying to figure this out. 
Yeah, so I transitioned out of accounting after about five years, and I, I got the opportunity to to lead up a small startup company, and that's where I was. I tasted entrepreneurship for the first time, which I loved, um, and I moved on from there to to work with it in an operations role for a law firm, a pretty established law firm, and one of the responsibilities within that role was to to build a personal and professional development program, and I was always one that loved self-discovery and personal growth. And I was always, there's always something more, right? I was always wondering, you know, what else is out there? What else, how can I develop and grow myself? And so I got turned on to the, the Maxwell Leadership Organization, which is a, the largest leadership and development organization in the world. And I joined it to, to really get turnkey solutions for the law firm. And what I found out as I was spending more and more time there is I just, that's the people development is what I loved. And and, and so I, I started doing some of that on the side while I was at the law firm and, and then transitioned out about a year and a half ago to, to be in, in an executive coaching uh, corporate uh, training type role. And it was because I started working with a coach eight years ago when I joined the law firm. I'm like, wow, this is extremely powerful. And, and so how many people do this and what I didn't even know there was a profession in, in coaching. Um, if you would have said coach, I would have thought like an athletic coach. Right. Yeah. You know, you talk about executive coaching, you talked uh, in your area, you know, working with some professionals, you know, it's similar on a different, a different scale than, than what I'm doing. I, you know, I've done some consulting and coaching for some businesses, you know, kind of one-on-one, but you start putting masterminds together and, and working with businesses. I, everybody almost needs that coaching. You know, we, we pay for coaching at a young age when it comes to arts and activities and sports and whatever else, and even academics. And was the thought as you got going, I, I think you said it, people really do this. People really pay for it because they don't really talk about it, do they? They, yeah, they really don't. And, you know, it, it's interesting because I had to understand what a real coach was. And, you know, I think back to the coaches I had throughout my, my athletic career, and a lot of them were just a tell you how to do it and, and you execute on it. Right. But some of the, the best coaches that I had were the ones that helped me figure it out, help me understand. They, they knew me well enough to know my skill sets and my abilities and then helped me come up with the answer or uh, identify the best possible solution. And when I fast forward and, and started working with my own professional coach, that's what happened. It wasn't as though they were there to tell me what to do. Um, that's I see that more as a consulting. They're there to, to create a space that allows you to think into some of these conversations and these questions that you either otherwise couldn't or wouldn't. And, and it, it cre that creates that confidence to, to realize that I do have the answers within me. And, and, you know, what I would encourage my younger self is to believe that you can figure this out. And yes, you'll make mistakes along the way, but you're the best person in your life to make the decisions because you have the best vantage point. You have the experiences leading up to here and, and having somebody come alongside you and ask questions like you've been asking me today. Like, what was it about the law, being a lawyer that, that, that really incite what excited me, that would have been extremely helpful. And that's really what I do with my clients is allow them to walk along this journey and help them think into the challenges and the opportunities that, that are presented. 
you know, what you said about, you know, there's coaches out there and I think, yeah, I, I think of the hollering basketball coach in the sideline or whatever sideline you want to be on that you get the sense that they're just trying to control like it's a video game of how it's all how that player is working. But you said the best coaches that you had coming up were the ones that really taught you and explained to you and, and could see things in you instead of you doing stuff for them. They were doing they were helping you, you know, go deeper on that. Yeah, you know, I think the best example that, that most people can resonate with is John Wooden. Um, and, and I don't know how much you've, you've read about him. He's somebody that I've studied a little bit. And, you know, he was a fanatic about practice. Um, he would he, he had it scheduled down to the T and he was constantly iterating it. But when it came to the game, it was the game. And you wouldn't see him hollering on the sidelines. You wouldn't see him making major changes because he believed that developing his players in practice and then allowing them to do what they either could or wouldn't do is is how it was played and so I think about that and I think about a guy who would come alongside his players and he talks about in in one of his books that early uh, on in any season he just lets guys they, they do, do scrimmaging and they just scrimmage and scrimmage and scrimmage and he would identify the shooters and the spots that they shot the best from and then he would say, this is the spot you're going to shoot from because this is your best spot. And, and so he sat there back and he watched and he took it all in and then he came alongside people to set them up for their best level of success and then let, allowed them to do it. And I think that's just a, a fantastic example and model of, of how do you build somebody that, that can execute, that can create, that can, that can, can develop and grow and that ultimately can make decisions um, because we need people who know how to think analytically and, and have confidence to, to try things and fail and, and do it again. And I'm not sure we're, we're hitting all the marks when, when you look at um, how we're developing people these days. You know, I think back to and I've told this story before. I, I coached basketball once. I've seen a lot of basketball from the broadcast booth or uh, as a spectator and I coached second grade girls basketball one year for my daughter. And that became very clear to me that they're just going to do what they know how to do when they're on the floor. You know, in, in football, you've got downs, you're resetting, uh, you know, in baseball, you know, you go up to bat and you kind of get that break to reset. But, you know, with basketball or soccer, you've got to kind of be trained and you talked about it there. You know, that's what practice is for. That's what the, the trials you go through to then when you have to step foot on that court or on that field or uh, in a, in a boardroom, right. Or in a presentation, you got to be ready because that manager or that leader or whoever isn't going to be there to, to be in your ear telling you exactly what you have to say. And that's some of the stuff that you're probably working through right now with, with some leaders you've had in your masterminds and your coaching yeah. to how do you teach them to be, silent on the sideline as yeah. leaders. You know, it, it starts in that confidence space. And I think, you know, one of the things that coaching allows us to do is build confidence and, and you build confidence through uh, the 
repetition of thinking into questions and, and answering them and hearing yourself saying them out loud. Uh, you build confidence through clarity of vision and, and plan. And so creating what does it look like? You talked about it. What does the end goal look like that we're trying to get to? And then reverse engineer that process. And, and then you also develop accountability, uh, doing and executing on what it is that you're going to say. And so you develop that confidence. And then that with that confidence comes the ability to sit and be quiet and, and, and allow your people to, to, to be able to, to execute in their roles because you've now developed the ability to develop them. And so a large part of coaching is the, the growth aspect of it. Where, who do I need to become in order to achieve that which I said I want? So the clients that you've had, I imagine there's, there's some along the way that thought they didn't need coaching. And then there were some light bulb moments or shining moments that all of a sudden that comes to fruition. Any stories you can share about there from, from where they begin of not needing it to all of a sudden, like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm in this. I'm glad I did this. Yeah. There, yeah. There's, there's, there's several of them, you know, I think um, the first one that comes to mind, it, it, you know, it, it, when you try to define or, or explain coaching, they're like, really, all you do is ask questions and it's so much more right of creating the space and helping someone develop. But the best way to explain it or show it is to experience it. And so in a lot of the conversations that I just have, I have coaching conversations with them. I ask them questions and go deeper than anybody in their immediate world ever does. And, and so in a matter of just less than an hour, they can have greater clarity than they've had in, in brainstorming meetings or, or partnership collaborations. Um, I think of you know, one of the clients I, I worked, started working with a year, probably a couple of years ago now, it's in the real estate uh, investment space. And he had had this goal to, to raise a private fund. And he had had the goal for probably four or five years and just hadn't made any progress on it. And we sat down and in our first meeting, I started asking questions and he kept coming back to this one personal thing that, that was kind of the roadblock, the obstacle in his, in his regard. And it wasn't a big thing to me. It was a conversation he needed to have with someone close to him. And I asked him, when are you going to have that conversation? And he had that light bulb moment, that exact experience you just explained. He said, you know, I never thought of that. And I'm like, okay, that seems like a pretty simple next step. And, and so he has that conversation and five months later, he raised his fund. And so literally in a matter of, of, of five and a half months, he's done what he was wanting to do for four years. Well, it's interesting. You say that when you're looking at somebody who didn't believe they needed it and they just are asking questions, what they can do for their organization for the people around them, I would guess even at home, you probably have seen yes. some, some interactions of, of, of stresses and, and challenges that that leader has had at work and how it carries over the rest of their life and probably even their health, I would imagine too. 
Totally. Yeah. That, that same client that I, I told you with, he, I mean, he played college athletics um, a couple decades ago and, and he, st- he never really worked, he played golf. And so he never really worked out. And for the first time, beginning of this year, he started working out and he now works with a personal trainer. And so it's, it, it, there's no, I don't believe in the old school adage of the compartmentalize, compartmentalize your personal life and your professional life. Like they're separate. There's, it's not, it's an integration. And so being able to integrate them and, and, and allowing your people, uh, I work with a lot of executive leaders who you know, allow the, your people to show up as their best version of themselves, because that helps you. They're more productive. They're more effective when they're enjoying what they do. It doesn't mean they're always going to have fun in what they do, but if they're jo- truly enjoy what they do and you build trust and relationship, you're going to have such a higher product producing team than you would just trying to force people um, and, and really a positional level of leadership. And, and so you're absolutely right. It's, it's integrated. When you look at, you know, the type of coaching you do uh, through your firm and, and the John Maxwell ma- uh, method and, and your experiences, who needs this? You know, who needs this type of, uh, of service that, uh, that is out there available? Who do, you, who do you feel like needs this? You're probably going to say everyone, but how do you narrow that down even more? Yeah. So uh, it's funny. I was, I was just having this conversation with uh, actually my coach and, and he, he's a big believer of nobody needs coaching. Everybody can benefit from coaching. Absolutely. But the only coaching clients you should work with are those who want coaching uh, because the challenge with, with the need is if you're working with someone who needs coaching, they're probably in a situation that they they're really struggling or stuck and absolutely it can benefit, but they're already in a bad situation and, and it's a, it takes a lot of work and it's very hard to, if the person is not in the position of wanting coaching to, to, to serve them and get them to believe that it was the coaching that really helped guide you through. Whereas if you come along some beside somebody, and this is where I've been blessed, the clients that I, I work with, they want coaching, they recognize it. And they are the ones that have, I've been by the grace of God, they're the ones that have grown my business and my practice tenfold is they refer me to somebody who refers me to somebody and it's just kind of that that that's cyclical so everybody can benefit from coaching um, there's a great book that i think i heard tom brady recommend uh, 10 years ago and so i picked it up um, it's the inner game of tennis and it's by tim hallway or holloway i believe and in the book he's a tennis professional and in the book he starts to figure this thing out of, of helping people go internal and explore and really find the answers within themselves. And it's working so well that he wants to test the method. And so he hires some ski instructors uh, to work in this professional tennis camp that he has. And he teaches them how to ask the questions. And sure enough, they go for, I think, six to 10 weeks. I don't remember exactly the length. And at the end of the time, everybody is even better or, or at least stayed the same and nobody regressed. And so you're talking about ski instructors helping professional tennis players or aspiring professional tennis players get better. And, and once I read that book, I'm like, that's it. I, I now see it. So that's a long winded answer of of saying who needs it. I don't know, but everybody can benefit from it. Well, Payne, it's been great to, to reconnect. How can people reach out to you? I'll put all in the show notes, but you know, is there, is there something in particular you want people to, to connect with you on or learn more about you with? 
Yeah. Best way is my website, which you can throw in the show notes. I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook and all of that. But you know, like I said, I, I've been fortunate that the, the marketing place, I, I don't spend much time in the social media space because my practice just continues to grow organically. And, and, and I'm just grateful for that. And I'm grateful for you and the work you're doing. I, um, uh, I'm a big proponent of, of investing in our youth. I think that's the best way to, to make real changes in our world. And, and so I just appreciate all that you're doing. I appreciate that pain. And as I continue to, to grow the Career Adventure Academy and the work that we do in there, I know you will uh, be an advocate and, and help me make some connections out there that uh, I haven't quite made yet. But uh, thank you again for being on the podcast with us. You bet. Again, thank you for listening and being on this journey. And please subscribe and share this podcast. It's called That's a Job. It's on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The That's a Job podcast presented by Career Adventure Academy and the College and Career Discovery Course. Discover the work you are wired to do. Now go live your career adventure. If you haven't done so already, hit subscribe to enjoy future episodes. Build your career adventure at nateclayberg.com. Production assistance provided by Bill Jordan voiceovers. Visit billjordanvo.com. This podcast is a Need 10 Media production.